Welcome back to Maury's Music. My name's Maury Rich. And I'm Spoon Phillips. He's in the building! We have so much to talk about. How are you doing today, Spoon? I am doing just great. Though I have to admit, I'd much rather be at Maury's Music right now because it is not cool and uh, with low humidity where I am. I thought everybody had 50% humidity and 70 degrees. Is that just me? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's just you, but but it's one <laughs> of the perks. It's one of the perks of being a Martin guitar dealer. Well, it, it is terrible to be around all these guitars, but the temperature sure is inviting. And I think I'll stay a little <laughs> while, but I hope you guys will stay a little while. It's another edition of Martins and More. And this program is brought to you by John. John was nice enough to give us the idea for today's podcast. Spoon and I are going to talk about the guitars we chose as our own, when, why, and how. And I think I'll be a gentleman and I'll let you go first. Spoon, why don't you tell us a little bit about the main Martin guitar you play? Give us a quick overview and then give me a turn. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah, I have some questions for you along those lines. Um, and uh, thanks again to John. Uh, if our listeners don't know, uh, we encourage people to submit ideas for future podcasts and on Facebook or on uh, YouTube. And that's where we got this idea from John. So thanks a lot. And right now, my main guitar is something that I came up with for practical reasons and for uh, my love of certain things related to Martin guitars. And it is a custom that uh, custom shop built for me. And I was quite genuinely flattered when Mari and Lori came to me and asked them, asked me if they could reproduce it for sale in a limited uh, manner in what was basically an unofficial custom artist edition, which uh, some music stores will do from time to time. And I love the idea and I was offering some suggestions to make the, uh, the guitar they were gonna put up for sale with perhaps a little broader appeal and a lower price tag, but they insisted on reproducing the exact instrument. And for those of you who are not familiar with it, it is a short scale, 14 fret triple O with a cutaway that has Guatemalan rosewood back and sides, Adirondack spruce top, uh, quarter inch scalloped Adirondack spruce bracing, basically OM bracing, but on a short scale triple O, an extra large sound hole. And it has the custom shop as slash authentic series, thin finish and high glue construction throughout. The neck is a, has a 1 and 11 16th inch width at the nut and a low profile. So it's basically got the triple O neck that Martin was using up until they reimagined the standard series. So basically the neck of a triple O from the 1990s and early 2000s. And the practical stuff of, of behind that is I've had a bunch of different guitars over the years and including various customs, trying to find what I thought was going to be ideal for me. And then eventually, as my hand problems got worse as I got older, I gave up the V-necks and the one and three quarter inch width nuts and went with the low profile 
short scale, one of them 16 inch neck and string spacing. And I love the guitar a lot. It is in the style of a Triple O 21 from circa 1940. And uh, that means it's got a herringbone rosette, <clears throat> but black and white ply around the outside and a uh, particular diamonds and squares pattern that was unique to Style 21. And it was inspired by the 1940 or 41 0021 belonging to David Lindley, who was a major influence on me uh, when I was growing up in terms of his work as a sideman and, and very uh, tasteful and creative lead guitar player. So that's my current guitar. And I had put a lot of thought into it in a lot of years coming up to, uh, to those specs. So that's what I play now, primarily. It's the guitar I'm taking to Martin Fest next week and the guitar I was playing last night. And that's why I chose what I chose. So I'm gonna ask Mari now to tell us a couple of things. One, tell us about his main guitar and how he got it and then eventually why he's still playing it today. This isn't a contest, but my guitar is more sentimental than yours. And that's just how things are gonna be. I got my OM28V back in 1998 from my lovely wife on our first married Christmas. And that's not the only reason I've kept it all these years. That guitar is so important to me. It's like an extension of my arms and it's really just been very, very familiar to me. It's a guitar that strums and finger picks equally well. And the way I found it, we were just talking the other night, me and Lori, about doing this podcast. And thank you again, John, for the, uh, the idea. I actually misremembered exactly how this went down. I've got a memory of getting my OM28V for Christmas. And then I had a memory of finding that guitar. Of course, before it was a gift, I decided that's the model I really like. And I misremembered where I played it and how I discovered it. The memory of my first Martin is a Martin D1 that I bought earlier, maybe 1994, 1995. I actually had that memory superimposed on getting the 28V. And this is a really great opportunity for me to tell you guys the whole story with all the fun details about where I looked for it, how I decided to play it. And I really can't remember a lot of it. It's been so long ago. But my big thing was when I was a kid growing up, I listened to lots of rock music and heavy metal, and I was an electric guitar player first. It was a long time before I found acoustic music at all. When I did, I bought a really cheap ovation. Uh, Craigslist wasn't exactly as popular back then, but some local paper sale. I was into you know Paul Simon, and I got an ovation because I was watching concert in Central Park all the time. And I ended up basically going from that ovation in the late 80s into my first Martin much later than that but even until the mid 90s i kept associating martin guitars with country music big western instruments and i just whether it was marketing whether it was the circles i was running in i never thought of martin guitar beyond the d28 and the d18 and that country music my grandmother listened to and it just wasn't me at all i i always knew martin was important i recognized and realized they were the benchmark for acoustic guitars but that wasn't me at all and when i finally saw eric clapton unplugged it completely hit me over the head. I recognized that Martin also makes smaller body guitars. And it's not fair to say that a Triple O 28 or an OM 28 looks electric, but it looked so much more rock to me that as soon as I saw that, oh, you could get a Martin, you don't have to get a big D18, 
I just fell in love with that idea and fast forward to eventually finding that the OM28V was just an amazing instrument. And to me, it didn't sound much smaller than a dreadnought and those sort of things. When it eventually came down to it, and I wish I could circle back and give you more details, after playing lots of Martin guitars in different stores in New York City, Philadelphia, New Jersey, basically getting in the car and driving two hours in lots of directions to find what I liked, I remember the 28V and the 0028 Eric Clapton were the two that it got narrowed down to. And when I strummed both of them, it felt like the 28V just had more power, at least under my ear. And that was the deal breaker. I could have gone with either one of them, but I thought the 28V had more projection and I was, I was sold. And fast forward to 2022, there's a lot of details in between we can talk about along the way, but it's still a really, really importantly versatile guitar for me. I'm really still completely in love with that instrument. And it was a really fun journey. Well, I think that was a very interesting point that you made about comparing those two instruments. Back in that era, they were quite, they were unique. Uh, the Vintage Series was brand new then, and, you know, only been out a few years. And, of course, the Clapton isn't exactly like uh, a vintage instrument, but it was the first time they came out with a short-scale triple-O with a modified V-neck with the wider uh, fretboard and the uh, vintage-style toner, or whatever they called it back then, um, the people used to call the pumpkin orange toner, the, the modern-day Clapton. They've toned that down a little bit, so it's not quite so orange, even though that orange toner looked exactly like many uh, 1930s Martins that I've seen. But uh, it also had the uh, bold herringbone around the, around the edges when the regular Triple O still had the black and white lines, and it had the herringbone rosette of a pre-war Triple O 21. And so that was a, something that Dick Boke added to it to make it to make the Clapton definitely different from any other sort of uh, vintage-looking triple-O out there. And it had the diamonds and squares and all that stuff when the regular triple-O had uh, dots. But when it came to the tone, the Clapton has five 16th-inch scallop braces. The OM28V had quarter-inch scallop braces. And the long-scale neck with the long-scale tension in the strings makes the two classic examples in my mind in my ear of the om sound and the traditional triple o sound triple o to my ears is very straightforward all six strings fire forward very tightly grouped they stay together like as a single thing when they're making a chord and very punchy they cut very well for lead guitar uh, especially when considering they're a short scale instrument they give you that extra string bends that Eric Clapton likes so much. The OM has a wider dispersal of the main notes of the voice. It, they, they sound like there's more space between them. They have sounds like they're more, it's more open. And I, what I call sort of a tone bubble, when you play it, you kind of, you're kind of being surrounded by this glowing sound in addition to the projection and I've, you know, people have not, have not believed me that I've taken them in, in guitar stores and had them be across the room and have somebody play a short scale triple O and a long scale OM side by side. And the OM is almost supernatural the way that it almost sounds like the guitarist is right next to you when you're across the room and you can't even hear. And I've done this too. I used to have an Eric, a, one of the Lawrence Juber signature models and I custom that was based on it that was a short scale 
um, but almost identical to a Juber, except it was short scale guitar. And I would use that, I would show people, demonstrate that same thing. So yeah, the, uh, you talk about the dreadnought seeming country westerny. You play dreadnought style music with your big, powerful strums and your, you know, and the heavy hand, the way you play. And an OM28V, which has evolved into the modern OM28, they're virtually identical in terms of the bracing and construction. You can play anything on an OM28 that you would play on a dreadnought, and you still get a big sound. You still get, you won't get quite the mammoth bass at the bottom end, but it doesn't break up. You can play them as hard as you want. You can really dig into them. And all they do is say, thank you, can I have some more? And that makes them very different from pre-war OMs that are more lightly built and they really don't stand up to that kind of hardcore uh, pounding. But the uh, modern, modern OMs, they've got to be right up there in the most versatile acoustic guitars made today. So I understand why you still play it. I think the correct term is, thank you, sir, may I have another? <laughs> <laughs> Let's, let's keep your childhood out of this. Um. <laughs> that was a funny text yesterday, too. We'll keep that off air, but I, I laughed at your text. <laughs> if you're still listening to this program, thank you very much, first of all, for your support. And if you're listening on YouTube, I'd love for you guys to answer in the comments, when you discovered your first Martin guitar, how exactly did it happen? I spoke a few minutes ago about marketing, and I grew up thinking Martin guitars were dreadnoughts for country music. Anyone else watching this program, do you feel the same way? And in today's climate, it's so different with the internet and you could accidentally fall onto YouTube and get some great results without even trying. Back in 1990, I mean, whenever this was, when I first started my journey with Martins, I really would have loved, first of all, to be able to listen to this podcast. And if Spoon Phillips was doing videos for Maury's music back in 1991, boy, I'd have been all over it. And frankly, if I could really be truthful, I'm not sure I would have chose the OM28V back then if I knew what I knew now and I'm not even speaking from the point of view of owning a music store, but actually having the opportunity to watch YouTube visit music stores on their websites and in person. And boy, the, the plethora of Martin guitars you can pick from now that's just changing. We're taping this show in the summer of 2022. By the time 25 people see this show, there might be more changes to Martin's lineup. There's so much to pick from. I really honestly went to the OM28V because you could strum it like a dreadnought, but it didn't look like a country western instrument. I don't know that I would make that same decision for that same reason in 2022. I no longer think a D28 looks like a country music icon. And when I say that, I mean only. Of course it is, but it's not just that. And now that I have my experience under my belt, I'm playing acoustic guitar since the mid, you know, early 90s. I'm playing guitar since the mid-80s. I would surely make different buying decisions based on what I think Martin guitars are in 2022. And Spoon, I guess I, I could ask you the same question. You made a very interesting point there when you were talking about the influence of the outside world and the dreadnought and how you perceive the dreadnought. I didn't really come from the same point of view because I didn't, I didn't pay attention to guitars so much growing up. And when I finally just, you know, needed to do that. Well, I do remember um, seeing Bob Dylan in uh, the Council of Bangladesh. That was a, that was very, uh, it was quite small, you know, brought drive-in theater with my brother and his girlfriend and other kids. And that was a big influence. I mean, he happened to be playing a D28 at that time, though I didn't pay any attention to it at the time. But 
Then Christ Jules Nash and Young came along into my life. They'd already been around, of course. But um, I asked somebody what they played, and they said they played Gibsons. Of course, they were referring to their electric. <laughs> they, were play, they were referring to their electric guitars, but I didn't oh. know that, and they didn't know I meant acoustic guitars. And by that time, I had really fallen in love with the sound that Neil Young was getting on "Cowgirl in the Sand" on the Four Street album and stuff like that. When I finally was able to go to guitar stores when I moved to New York City, between them and Leo Kotke, who by that time was uh, had turned to Taylor's when Bob Taylor had made him a custom 12-string that then turned into his signature model. Those are the guitars I went looking for, but sound made me keep going back to Martin's. But by that time, I knew that Stephen Stills and Neil Young and David Cross, we were all playing D45s and D28s. And so I came to the dreadnought, even though, yes, George Jones and Johnny Cash and Hank Williams and Bluegrassers also played them. I, I was already kind of connected to the mystique and not the hee-haw mystique that you associated <laughs> them with at the time. So that's fascinating. And so tell me a little bit about this D1. What made you cho choose that? Because that was a dreadnought. So, I mean, how did that come about? Well, first of all, shout out to Grammy Sebulak and Hee Haw. Thanks for making me watch that as a kid. Oh, my God. Like, come on. I saw that my grandparents a lot, too. <laughs> yeah, to answer your question, going back, I recognized really early in life that I loved Paul Simon's music, and I, I would watch Simon and Garfunkel in concert in Central Park, you know, millions of times, and had it ingrained in my brain, I've got to get an ovation legend, I have to get that guitar he's playing. I was impressionable. When I was at that age, my heroes were playing things. I didn't fall for the fact that if I buy that guitar, I'll sound like him, but I wanted to make an effort to, to play what I'm, I'm seeing. And after I realized, you know, years later that you can get a Martin guitar for less than a thousand bucks, I was all in. So the D1, I think I remember trying it against the Rosewood version and, and Spoon, you can correct me, Back then, was it a D1 and a D1R? Is that right? That's correct, yeah. The D1 was came oh. out first, and I think the D1R came out the next year, the year after that. Yeah, and this that was my very first and hardly last opportunity to play two guitars back-to-back -back and really, really recognize the difference. And I remember thinking, wow, I like the mahogany more, and it's louder. And that's not anything I'm proud to say on a podcast because I'm on YouTube <laughs> 700 and sometimes making all the jokes about Rosewood is better. Well, I didn't come to that until later in life. So I'm an impressionable kid. It's 1994, maybe 95. In that instance, on that day, I did find the mahogany was better. You see, you learn things about yourself, Spoon. I never thought I would say that on the microphone, but I'm going to keep it out there. And uh, yeah, the, the D1 really made a big impression. And I remember bringing that guitar back to my band and some of the guys I was playing with uh, were playing Takamini. He's like, that's a Takamini. That's, that's nothing different than a Takamini. And I, I just knew then, I'm like, man, you have so much to learn. I'm the one who knows everything. And this guitar is so much better than yours. And of course, you know, going, going forward, both brands make a great instrument, but it, that, it already started. I didn't have that guitar for a week. And my musical peers were poking at me and were, were firing shots back and forth on this brand's better, that brand's better. But I got a lot, a lot of mileage out of that and, and played it for, for more than a few years. The D1 was my very first Martin. They were very good guitars. I had a, a, a apartment mate here who I helped him uh, pick one out. And uh, by that time, I was already playing Martin guitars. And 
And it was around the house for another two years or so before he went off to grad school. And I, uh, I was very impressed with the D1s. I thought it was a brilliant idea on the part of Martin. But um, I, a lot of my guitars, I went through periods of time where, yes, I wanted a guitar be, uh, that was like the ones that so-and-so played. And, and even the custom I have now, like I mentioned, it, you know, it was the, the cosmetics were inspired by, by the triple uh, 21 because David Lindley, uh, you know, that's kind of a homage thing. But then I eventually it got into more practical stuff. So the, uh, the guitars that I play now, um, I do have one dreadnought. And the reason that came about was friends of ours, Rich Eckert and Dave Strunk, uh, left the Martin Guitar Factory and um, David had been there many years in the repairs department, was a, basically the protege of David Musselwhite, whose name is well known to a lot of people. And he left because the repetitive stress was, it became difficult for him to be able to work the hours that Martin required and uh, because of a bad knee and stuff like that. And they were going into business for themselves and they were getting in the business of uh, reconstructing vintage instruments or taking damaged instruments and taking advantage of the fact they needed to be rebuilt and rebuilding them in a pre-war sort of way. So I, I looked around and I found a destroyed 1966 D28 that had no top and no neck and had a big hole in the side of it. And I bought it for, you know, for Brazilian Rosewood, a relatively uh, affordable price. And I was their first customer and I wanted to throw them a little business and they did a spectacular job putting what's essentially 1937 authentic series bracing and, you know, and thin finish and, and high glue construction. They, uh, what the remaining back braces and stuff were actually done with tight bond because it was a, that was the year that Martin had stopped using hide uh, glue. And I love the guitar to pieces. I don't play dreadnoughts that often, but I, I, I certainly enjoy it. Let's pause for a moment and listen to a sound sample of Spoon's Triple OC 21 TSP from his album Lost and Haunted Ways. The other guitar that I do have and play now is a little more practical. Before I go into that, I want to know more about Maury's wandering eye uh, when it came, comes to his main guitar. I know I've seen you gig in the past. There was a time where you and Tim were playing uh, the old Aura, original Aura models, and occasionally other instruments that I've seen you uh, gig with. So, so tell us a little bit about why you chose to go with other guitars at times. Oh, my wandering eye about guitars. I will talk about that. I thought you're going to get me in trouble. 
Um, Never. I, I'm such a square. Everybody who knows me isn't even laughing about that. But uh, yeah, it, it's it, there's a couple of cool stories I could share here about the Martin guitar. You, you have to realize we became a dealer in 03. So once we did that, I mean, I've, I've known some people at Martin for a lot longer than that. But once we became a dealer in good standing, and, and I'm proud to say and flattered to say, uh, we actually became one of their biggest independent dealers very quickly and have remained. So the long story short of that is we're very, very close with Martin. Uh, we like each other very much, and they're very happy with how we're rep representing their brand. Knowing that and also having some friends within the factory, names like Tim Teal, when opportunities would come around for prototypes and beta testing, uh, at least back then, it hasn't happened very recently, but back then I would get the call and they would say, you know, do you want to you want to try this thing out for us or test these strings or come in the sound room and say what you think of this pickup? There was an actual opportunity, I want to say back in, I won't even say one of it. Whenever the original Auras debuted on the OMC Aura and the, you know, those guitars, Spoon, maybe I'll, th I'll throw a lifeline your way. What year am I talking about? 07, 08? Well, they're definitely older than the 07. So I would say 06, 05, and there I actually don't remember exactly. But for uh, people who aren't familiar, the Aura sound system was invented by Fishman. And it's a pretty amazing thing where they take an acoustic guitar and record it with a very expensive microphone and also record it through the pickup at the same time. And then through some amazing wizardry, they tweak the waveform of that pickup to match the waveform of the microphone as closely as possible and put it in an onboard computer that uh, reacts in real time to the player's playing dynamics. Of course, it gets much more complicated than that. But that was pretty revolutionary. And those first appeared on the uh, a Dreadnought and an OM that Martin put out under the, its own series called the Aura series that uh, would be probably closer to the 16 series today and, and the 16 series back then in terms of the overall construction and stuff. Back in its infancy, when they were testing that product out, uh, Tim and I, Tim Perry, my bandmate, and rest in peace, uh, Bobka, our, our conga player, we got invited to Martin to go into the sound room and do some videos for that, that system. And the very, very, very first marketing material and production material where they recorded some stuff within Martin's walls. I'm not sure if you can find that anywhere on YouTube, but you can find Mari and Tim and Bob playing a couple of our original songs. And that actually gave birth to the chance Tim Teal invited Tim Perry and myself to take some guitars out and play them. And, you know, they're, of course, Martin's famous for giving real touring musicians some guitarists for testing, but they also want to give some weekend warriors like us the opportunity to see what these guitars and what these pickups sound like when you're running sound yourself. I mean, you can give somebody like John Mayer a guitar and see how it works. And the, you know, the village of people that help him sound good on stage is one thing. You give Maury and Tim a guitar and Maury and Tim are actually plugging into a Bose and doing everything themselves. Martin was very, very interested to see what this aura would sound like at that level as well. You know, can somebody buy a guitar in a store and go and play a gig, play an open mic night? and you know not be uh, a concert professional sound engineer and make these things work well sure we'll, we'll try that we ended up playing them all the time at places like penn's peak and lots of local restaurants and back then we were playing uh, probably three nights a week all the time we were really really heavy into it and i remember seeing tim teal 
maybe after a few months and we said, you know, we're, we're done with them. You know, we're going to do the right thing and bring these back. Me and Tim Perry were just talking about this the other night and we bring these guitars back to Tim Teal. Tim had the triple O 16 RGT, triple O C 16 RGT aura. And I had the OMC aura and we meet with Tim Teal and he starts laughing. He's like, what am I going to do with these? I can't take these back. Just keep them. They were so boogered. They were so beat up, you know, so honestly played. It wasn't like we were being, not that we didn't care, but we didn't play carefully. We just, we were ourselves. You gave us a few months at regular I've gigs. I've seen and you both play things. and I, I've seen what, I seen what Tim can do to a guitar. So yeah. <laughs> but you know, it was just what, what, why do you think we want these guitars back? You, I don't care what you do with them. But Tim Perry, to this day, we just played Thursday at Penn's Peak. Tim Perry is still playing that exact guitar. It's been retrofitted with the Trans Audio Amulet M. Uh, that's going to be a, a sidebar that we won't get deep into the weeds about. But it's a pickup system that I discovered about six or seven years ago. And, you know, Tim loves that guitar as much as he does. There was no reason to change guitars. But that Triple O C 16 RGT Eara is still in his possession it's still being talk about used if that guitar ever sells on the used market it should sell on the extremely abused market because it's been beat <laughs> the used abused market well this brings up an interesting point you we've been talking about why we chose guitars we did or or why we wanted guitars even if we didn't get them like the ovation you mentioned and one of the reasons uh, well really the only reason uh, you wanted the ovation because of Paul Simon, and your friends who had Takaminis probably wanted their Takaminis because of Bruce Springsteen or Jerry Garcia, and people like that because that's who they wanted to emulate. But Jerry Garcia and Paul Simon only chose their guitars because of at that time Ovation was the first acoustic guitar maker that would put, could put a pickup in a guitar that you could play in a giant stadium or in a giant auditorium without all the feedback issues. And right. um, we won't go into why, um, but Takamini then kind of superseded them in terms of an acoustic guitar that looked, looked more like a traditional guitar. In fact, Martin sued them and made, forced them to change their design. So, you, you know, most people thought Jerry Garcia was playing a D35 and, in 1980, when he was actually playing a, a what they now call a Takamini lawsuit model, and yeah. <laughs> um, and it's because Takaminis allowed you to plug and play, and you know they don't sound exactly like acoustic guitars, and a lot of people nowadays think they sound pretty brappy compared to stuff like the Aura and the Amulets, but but they uh, were the only thing you could get at the time, and that's you know it wasn't because they loved this the acoustic sound of the of that uh, ovation or that Takamini, it was because they they needed the a plug and play technology. So that's fascinating. And I went down that route for a while and ended up with some guitars that uh, were based more upon my connection to that broader music world and the people that I listened to and what they played. And then I ended up getting a, that Lawrence Juber signature model, not because of Lawrence Juber. I was completely unfamiliar with Lawrence at the time. I hadn't met him yet. I didn't know anything about him, really. And uh, only after I bought the model did I buy one of his uh, solo acoustic guitar records. And that was based entirely on the, on the instrument that blew me away when I played it in a store, and I needed a cutaway. So that brings me to the other guitar that I have as a regular model that I play, 
and it is a triple O C16 from the early 1990s. And this was at the time when they, they, the modern 16s came out and they put some features on them that they would not put on the conservative, what we now call the standard series. But they still had a full hand-fitted dovetail neck joint and where the D18 had non-scallop braces and the triple O18 had non-scallop braces, the new D16 and the new triple O16 had scallop bracing. Not only that, the 16s had quarter inch scallop bracing and a long scale neck. It was the first long scale triple O that Martin came out with in the modern era and it since 1934. And so it was effectively an OM18, which Martin had never made since 1934 but it had a one and 11 16th inch nut. So they decided to call it a triple O. And it also has the original mine is the C with the original deep cutaway, that very deep cutaway that requires an oval sound hole because they have to move the traverse brace down to make room for the cutaway. And right. the traverse brace goes underneath the, for people who don't know, underneath where the fingerboard extension is on the top uh, to support that area of the, where, the, where that's glued in place. And I absolutely love it. Rosewood fingerboard and bridge, solid mahogany back and sides. That was pr acquired practically because I was playing as a sideman for Paul Yukina, who is a retired Broadway actor here in New York uh, that was in the big musicals, you know, Bessel Whorehouse in Texas and the Will Rogers Folly. He even played Will Rogers in the Will, Will Rogers Follies on Broadway. But, um, but he, uh, he asked me and another guy that... Uh, he had met through uh, the Martin Guitar Forum to start playing with him. And then we started gigging in New York City. And it was all music I'd never played before. It was all Fat Swaller and Duke Ellington and the Gershwin Brothers and that kind of music. And I needed, I needed the skinnier neck for all that jazz chord stuff. I needed a, uh, that deep cutaway. And um, and my hands were going south about this time. I had the Juber and I was originally playing the Brazilian Juber model, but then I, I, uh, I went out and I got an MC28 from that, around that same era um, and, and thought that would be the ideal guitar for a jazz trio, but that big wide body uh, just, I found too uncomfortable. And so I traded that away for this triple O and I still have it. and. I grew up being a mahoganite, um, like like Maury. I thought mahogany sounded better, and I was eventually seduced to the dark side of the complex <laughs> rosewood sound. But I still love mahogany, and so that's you know, for all intents and purposes, like I said, it's like a it's like a long scale OM eighteen C with a with a skinnier neck, and so that's my other main guitar. And, well, when uh, you talk like that, you could still hear the chip on your shoulder. You're still sore. They don't make an OM eighteen. <laughs> that's not true and i was i was really surprised when they finally came out with one they came out with the om18 and the omc18 very briefly and they just didn't stick around and they didn't they were gone almost immediately and you know chris martin would try things out and i'm sure uh i'm sure the conversation i had with him a few years earlier probably had no influence whatsoever but uh <laughs> but i tried my best the very first time i met him uh, was at the first gathering of what they now call Martin Fest, and we were in his uh, post-lunch conference room, you know, table at his conference table, and 
and uh, he then would sign the inside of people's guitars, and he did that in his office right next to what was his office then. And then I hung around, and after he was all done, he was getting ready to close the door. I engaged him about uh, bringing back the uh, the OM eighteen. I said, you know. I, uh, you came out with the OM-18V in 1999, and I bought the first one that came to New York City and sold my Collings Mahogany OM and sold my Bourgeois Mahogany OM and, you know, tried to convince him that they, you know, the standard, standard series could use a Mahogany OM. And he gave me that sort of, hmm, I'll think about it. But then, you know, it took, I don't know how many years later, they finally did it. But maybe they will again. <laughs> What's it like to be kicked out of his office? <laughs> he was absolutely very polite about it. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so there is, you know, that's, that's my tale of going through a variety of guitars over the years. And you talked about your first Martin, my first Martin, I'd wanted Martins forever, and I lusted after the Schoenberg soloists that were being advertised in guitar magazines at that time, and, and had been converted to the idea of an OM and wanting an OM. And, um, but when I got a little money from my grandmother's estate, um, I got $1,000, and I came up with the other $1,000, and I ultimately got a custom 15, which was of very shortly after renamed the uh, the HD 28V and thought here I was going to be Neil Young and all those other people that play those kind of guitars. And I wasn't prepared for the long scale neck. I wasn't prepared for a V neck. I wasn't prepared for the big, big dreadnought body size because my guitar until that time had been a, a Japanese or Korean knockoff of what was essentially a triple O 18. And uh, I played that guitar for a while, and then I actually found a real Triple O 18 from 1953 and bought that, and that became my main guitar for a long time. And I, then when I went to OMs, it was because I was learning to fingerpick seriously, and like a lot of new fingerpickers, I wanted the strings as widely apart as possible <laughs> because I didn't have the dexterity to play, play cramped strings uh finger style so that led me to finally getting that om18v uh, i got a used om28v shortly thereafter and the rest is history and now i have another question for mari um you talk about your beloved om and we talked about your your uh, early dreadnought but you had a special maury's music model that you sold and it wasn't an OM and it wasn't a dreadnought. Now, was it? You are correct, sir. There's a good story behind that too. And I, a couple of podcasts ago, you made reference to the D35 and the fact that Martin wasn't doing scallop racing uh, back then. So they accidentally invented a new sound giving the D35 straight quarter inch bracing. <laughs> well, let's follow that accidentally train and I'll give you a real quick story that I'm not too proud of, but it's all about being transparent. And if you can't laugh at yourself, who can you laugh at? Back in 04, we recognized that the 0028 VS would be a really cool model. And this predates the time when Martin did bring back the 0028 VS for a short while. And it was completely coincidental. It wasn't about us. But we had the custom shop make us a 0028 VS Maury's Music. Now, we're only in business a year. 
And this is long before I got to spend all this time talking with Spoon week in and week out. And I haven't quite yet digested the entire Martin nomenclature. I don't know every model from top to bottom. Stop me if you see where this is going. <laughs> so we talked to Bob Fair in the custom shop. And I said, what I want to do is take the 28 VS, which was a really popular model back then. Shout out to our friend Jim Monahan for introducing me to that model. Let's take the 28 VS. And the only thing I want to change about it is the body size. Let's make it a double O. So instead of having a triple O 28 VS, make it double O. Bob Ferris said, okay. Now, before you go any farther, we should explain for people who don't know. So the V stands for the vintage series instruments with the V neck and a one and three quarter inch width, not on the, on the 12 fret models. The S stands for the standard body size, which means a 12 fret neck and the sloped shoulders that make it look more like a classical guitar and the big slotted headstock at the top with the tuners on this plate on the side. So when he talks about the triple 28 VS, that's what we're talking about. The big long scale 12 fret triple 28 VS. So Bob Fair, you know, back then he was in charge of the custom shop and he said, so that's what you want to do. Triple O 28 VS, the only change is going to be the body size down to a double O. I said, yep. So we made the order, we announced it on our website, and we saw a lot of immediate interest in a double O 28 VS. So we took some orders, some pre-orders, and back then you can get a custom shop in six, seven months, so it didn't take all that long. And the first ones kind of started trickling in. Our customers are coming from far and wide to pick up their new instrument, and we get a phone call. And usually when you get a phone call, and you announced that you got a phone call the way I just announced it. Something's <laughs> wrong. Somebody called me and said, I got a problem. And I was like, well, you know, what can we do for you? I just got my 0028 VS, Maury's Music, and it's long scale. I said, false. There can't be. So called up Martin and I, I talked to Bob Fair and I was all ready and all like, hey, you better find out what you did wrong because blah, blah, blah. And he said, sir... You'll remember you ordered a triple O 28 VS and the only difference being the body size. I said, yes, those guitars are long scale. I said, oh, <laughs> I didn't realize. And, you know, fast forward, of course, there's so many opportunities in the Martin catalog now that don't follow suit. I thought the triple O 28 VS was the same scale length as the triple O 28. Unfortunately, yeah, 12 fret, 12 fret triple O's were always long scale. It was the only long scale Martin before they made the dreadnought. And the misunderstanding has, uh, has affected a lot of people over the years. Even dealers. <laughs> but they're still great guitars. Yeah, they are. And that did end up working in some people's favor. We basically kept all 10 of those. Some of the customers who bought into that first run were very happy with it. And the ones who wanted the short scale, we simply immediately ordered another batch of 10. So there is a first edition, 0028 VS Maury's Music, and a second edition. And there are happy players on both sides of that fence. But the very initial run of the 0028 VS Maury's Music was accidentally, and importantly, long scale. So... Even when Martin did finally come around a few years later to bring back the 0028 VS as a regular production model in the vintage series, those instruments were short scale. And I won't pretend to tell you in front of this microphone that I know why, but if you have an original version of the 0028 VS Maury's Music, first of all, thank you very much. And you have a very unique instrument. I have number one of all the first 10 that came in. It had a little piece of bear claw and I recognized immediately that should go to me. I believe the other ones would be a little bit easier to sell. And 
if you're listening to this show and you have one of those, thank you again very, very much for your support. It's a really cool little model. Well, and I, I'm going to bring this all back around to where we started as we get this uh, podcast winding down. Uh, back to Eric Clapton, who had a major influence on, on Mario Rich uh, going for a Martin guitar back in the day. The Clapton models, uh, going back to the very first limited edition, fancy Brazilian Rosewood 00042 special limited edition super guitar uh, from MTV Unplugged, was a short scale triple And the, all the ones that came after him were short scale triple because on M MTV Unplugged, Clapton played a 1939 triple 42. And he also uh, played a, a converted triple 28 that had been aftermarket converted to Pearl as well on that show. And all of his models have been uh, short scale triplos until they came out with the blues model that's actually blue, the blue guitar. Now, Eric Clapton was famously quoted as saying if, he, uh, if there's such a thing as reincarnation, he wanted to come back as an old Martin OM. And he would refer to his guitars as Martin OMs when they weren't OMs in the modern sense. They didn't have an OM stamp. They weren't long scale guitars. OM stood for orchestra model, still does. Orchestra models simply meant a 14 fret instrument compared to the standard 12 fret instrument. And the original OMs, 1930 and 1934, were long scale. They renamed them Triple O in 1934 and started making them short scale ever after. Somebody in Martin overlooked that and they actually made the blue Clapton a long scale OM. <laughs> and it wasn't until they had gone through the entire process and were delivering Eric Clapton his guitar when it was discovered. And Dick Boak became woke. And he uh, <laughs> probably about, you could probably, probably could have knocked him over with a feather. And he was extremely nervous about it. And this guitar gets delivered to Clapton's people and goes to Eric Clapton. And he absolutely loved it. And he immediately started playing it in concert, and he still plays it in concert very often. And it was, uh, you know, it's very, I think it's a pretty amazing story. It was an accidental mix-up, just like the one Mari just talked about, where they accidentally made it a long-scale OM with quarter-inch braces. So it was basically like an OM28V in blue. And he immediately loved. It. I think it's good. They, I think they have an Engelman top, maybe, or a European uh, European spruce top. I don't remember right now. But um, but he absolutely was crazy about it and uh, loved the uh, how big the sound is, which goes back to our discussion about triple O's versus OMs. Um, so I think that's a super cool uh, accident, just like that triple O twenty eight VS Mari's music, built with the long scale, accidental order but a really uh, cool guitar and i'm just grateful i haven't made a mistake here at mars music since 2004 <laughs> spoon if you listen really really closely i, th I think i hear some <laughs> oh, it's killing me oh, it's killing me oh sorry oh go on i, I don't want to stop that if you really if it's not all out yet <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, thanks, I needed that. 
I hear some music coming around the corner, but before it reaches us, I do have one rapid fire question for you and you may aim it back at me afterwards. If you had to buy your first Martin guitar again right now, which would it be? Oh, good heavens. Of all the guitars that are available for sale right now from a Martin dealer, boy, that's tough because there are just so many of them. Okay, if, if we're not going to say, you know, I could afford any of them, if we throw out the ones I couldn't possibly afford, I might have to go with an OM28. Nice. We have one, if you're uh, serious. <laughs> so let me ask you the same question. You had implied you might not go with the OM28V, which they don't even make anymore, but you might be have gone a different route if you were really going for your first full-fledged professional Martin guitar today, what do you think you would go with? In the spirit of off the cuff and just answering quickly because it wouldn't be any fun to talk about this for two more hours, I would probably go with an OM28 Modern Deluxe if I'm being truthful. Ooh, you know, I do love those necks. I love those necks, but I have to say, I still love the standard jury's uh, sound. I just wish, wish they, uh, I just wish we would start seeing OMCs again with the cutaway, but I'm not allowed to talk about that right now, but I think uh, they're long overdue for various reasons. I just wish we weren't out of time, but we are. Spoon, I want to thank you again. It's always great conversation. From all of us at Maury's Music, thanks for listening. Hear you later. This has been a presentation of Maury's Music, your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at maurysmusic.com. Music.com.